Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshesheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Hey friends, welcome back. Today we are talking about pornography addiction. We are gonna share what to do if you or your spouse is struggling with porn, or if your marriage has been invaded with it, or even if you suspect it. And I am joined by Rosie McKinney. She is a writer and a speaker, podcaster, author of the book, Fight for Love, How to Take Your Marriage Back from Porn. And Rosie personally fought against her husband's porn use through her faithful stance and his repentance and counseling and group work and their marriage is now porn free and Rosie helps people struggling with porn invaded uh, marriages and uh, her husband has a ministry and is a certified sexual addiction therapist and then Rosie founded the Fight for Love Ministries, empowering women with both facts and faith. I love this, to fight against porn addiction and its effects on us personally, families, all those sorts of things. So Rosie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely. It's lovely to be here. Yeah. Where are you now in the world? Are you in California? No, we moved to Idaho. We were just fed fed up with the weather. It was like, it was too nice. So. <laughs> well, I, we got fed up with California as well. So now we're in Reno. And yeah, a lot of people are going to Idaho. So do yeah. you like it there? It, um, I, it's very hot. Who knew? Like in oh. the summer, it's really hot. I, I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, we found wonderful community up here. Oh, that's good. Where are you from originally? I love your accent. Thank you. I'm, oh, I'm very, very sorry. And I love his accent too. Yes, that's... <laughs> third fairy child um, from uh from Yorkshire in England oh wow oh my gosh I've always wanted to visit there do you need to go get your dog or is um uh no I need him to just disappear okay I didn't know if you like you had someone to go like get him or whatever so no this is like ministry in real time in real life yeah yeah exactly so have you been um how long have you been outside of England did you grow up there yes I moved across when I was how old was I 34 Mm -hmm. so so been here well I can't tell you how long I've been here now can I because that let's just say it's been over a decade and so okay yeah Well, again, thanks for being here. I'd love to hear your story. Take us back a little bit, if you if you would, to kind of the the beginning of the marriage or whenever you first started to suspect that there was pornography going on. Just the story, the emotions involved, kind of what happened. Was there acceptance, (laughs) denial, blame, you know, all those sorts of things, really, when we're dealing with just what I say is addiction, you know. Sure. So really my story starts before I met my husband mm, and okay. before, I, before I was even a Christian, really, oh. because I was in a long-term relationship 
with an unrepentant porn addict. And oh. I tried really hard to get this out of the relationship. So I tried everything that we women try. Tried competing, tried, you know, reasoning, tried placating, tried pleading, tried, you know, everything and nothing worked. Right. And eventually, the, the, the codependent. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. I tried, I, you know. All fixed. <laughs> yeah, totally. And and it didn't work. And yeah. it was extremely painful and extremely confusing. Um, and and then I became a Christian. And I think it was that, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit now that actually enabled me to walk away. So now I'm a brand new Christian and uh, I'm going to church and I meet my would be husband there at a house group. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started dating. And he tells me that this has been a struggle in the past for him mm-hmm. and I'm thinking well here's here's a guy who actually admits that it's a problem like right. wow this is this is novel um and he says that he's sought help in the past and he's you know fought really hard so in my naivety I kind of think well that's it then great like this isn't going to be a problem so we go mm-hmm. ahead and get married but then very soon into the marriage like honeymoon wedding night soon it's apparent that a lot of the red flags that were in the previous relationship are now in my marriage. Mm. And uh, it was so devastating because pornography not only sort of like manifests itself inside the bedroom, it manifests outside. You know, they're critical and resentful and angry. And it literally felt like Jekyll and Hyde. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on, but I was like, we need help. So we went to see a counselor and she said, well, you do realize he's a sex addict. And I'm like, I'm sorry, come again. And, right. and so I'm like, okay, I've done this. I can't do this again. I know how it ends. There's nothing I can do. I can't control it. So I said, you can have pornography or you can have me, but you can't have both. I can't do this again. Even though I've just given up everything. I've literally given up my name, my job, uh, my support system, my country. to move to a foreign country, I'm not doing this again. So inadvertently, I did the right thing, which is set that firm line in the sand, draw that yeah. boundary. But it wasn't because yeah. I knew what I was doing. It wasn't because I had any self-esteem or, you know, uh, even confidence that it was going to work. It was just desperation. It was a desperate ultimatum. Mm, yeah. But I was fortunate that I was able to do it at the beginning. Now, how did he respond? Well, I think he threw his wedding ring in a field in Italy. It was very symbolic. It was very dramatic. <laughs> um, but then sort of came back into his, you know, sane mind and was like, mm-hmm. okay, I do need help. So he decided to get help. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not sure what the future holds for us because that was hugely shocking. I'm not sure who you are anymore. Yeah. Um, but let's both get help. And I can start to work out why I keep doing this. Um, and we'll see what happens. So I just sort of put the marriage really on hold while we both like dived into recovery. Mm. Um, And it was hard because you're trying to do recovery in real time with the person who keeps traumatizing you. Yeah. So it's not like other addictions or, or healing from other addictions because you're actually interacting with the person so the trauma is sort of compound it's ongoing so you need mm-hmm. really strong boundaries and support in able to withstand the the confusion um and the and the temptation to either 
you know, just brush it under the rug, just enable it, just make it go away. Yeah. But you actually just need to, to stand firm. Mm-hmm. This is, oh, wow. And that must have been so difficult for you because I've talked to other women that have gone through this. And because of how personal it is, there's a lot of anger where it, because oftentimes there there is affairs if they're, the person is a sex addict, but even if there's just porn, it feels like they're having affairs. It feels like it's an affront to you and your sexuality and how, you know, makes you feel like you're not good enough because it's hard to recognize it for what it is, an addiction, right? Where did you struggle with that? Like, you know, what... What's wrong with me? Absolutely. And I think the, the stat on that is like 76% of partners of porn addicts believe that it is in some way their fault. Um, yeah. But what's fascinating about sort of the research that's coming out now about attachment theory is that yeah. our brains are actually perceiving the betrayal as a physical betrayal. Our, our, our brains do not differentiate because when there's a rupture in that relationship with your primary attachment figure, which is your husband, mm-hmm. your body sees that, your brain sees that as like a primal survival threat, which yeah. so it goes, in, it goes into that, that trauma, that panic mode. So, so when people say, oh, well, you know, what she doesn't know doesn't hurt her, you know, or it's not like he's acting out with a real person. It's like, well, our brains and our bodies don't think that. Our bodies are reacting in exactly the same way and sort of manifesting all these trauma symptoms. Yeah. Um, so that's extremely validating in that you're not crazy. You're not overreacting. Yes. It's as though he is physically cheating. And it doesn't matter how much you, you tell yourself that. It doesn't make any difference to your sense of safety. Right. Right. The other thing, too, is we tend to not it's hard to look at it as an addiction. And really there's, there's, which you probably know, process addictions and substance addictions. And of course, porn is what's called a process addiction because we're not ingesting substance. But the reality is it still hijacks the, what they call it is the reward circuitry in the brain, but really it just floods it with dopamine to the point where if I don't get my fix, I'm going to die. If I don't get my fix of drugs or porn or gambling, it's all kind of the same thing, right? And, and we just, become addicted and so the, the the farther you go in the harder it is to get out unless you get help so i think i think it's hard especially for women to look at it for what it is an addiction it's not even about i don't even think it's about sex it's about mm. trauma or control or whatever causes i mean i'm an alcoholic i had an anxiety disorder i've been sober 18 years my brother died of his addiction i've you know um my husband's sober, but, but there was all these underlying reasons. And so depending on how a person's wired, like your husband, there's an addiction. It could have been a different addiction, but it was this addiction. And I think if we can look at it that way a little bit and understand what's happening in the brain, it does that help a little bit? Absolutely. Do you think for women? It, I mean, <laughs> I'm yeah, dealing yeah. more with alcoholism, yeah. but, but you know, I haven't had that issue, but I'm just wondering if that is helpful for people. It really does help. And the, the two, two points on that. The first one, um, we get such bad advice about how to deal with oh, porn addiction yeah. because people don't recognize process addictions. They really do think it's something to do with how much you're sexually satisfying your husband because you'd never say to an alcoholic, you know, or, or, or let's say a gambling addict, 
right you know what the way that you need to um help your your husband who's a gambling addict is you just need to give him a suitcase full of cash because <laughs> obviously it's just about that this move to reno where i am or Vegas. You know, it's all about money it's all about winning just give him the money and then he won't need to act out but yeah. with wives especially in the church they say just have more sex with him you know um and you if your husband was you know getting up in the middle of the night and going down dane and going downstairs and snorting cocaine you wouldn't be lying up there going i wonder if it's because i'm not attractive enough right you know wow. or perhaps i'll go down and do it with him to show him that i'm cool or, or we'll or, watch it together that's the yeah. whole worldly thing i'm like what exactly mm. exactly mm. so that's that's what's really um devastating about this it's confusing and painful and then you get this bad advice on top which is like counter to how you would advise anybody if they were dealing with a partner who's doing any other addiction it, it makes no sense so once you sort of unpack that it really does feel quite empowering like no this really isn't my fault and i've got to help other people understand that it really isn't their fault so that they can get the help that mm. they need did you ever get any good advice from the church? You know, it seems like they're, they're like, I don't want to diss the church. I'm wondering, you know, they're, they're definitely, a lot of them are having mental health, um, uh, you know, like soul care where they're hiring counselors and doing a lot more for mental health. Um, did you, I mean, what, what's some kind of more bad advice that you got and then was there any any like sound advice from the church or were you and your husband's the ones kind of bringing it if that makes sense well in my position we just moved we just moved to the states so we weren't like hooked into a church uh mm -hmm. did we go to our church i can't remember at that point it wasn't really a big part of our life right then it literally was we moved to another country you know yeah uh, yeah and so so that wasn't a big influence and i was also sort of a baby christian yeah. So I, I was like on fire for God and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but I'd also had a very worldly life beforehand. So I didn't immediately think that it was my fault because I'm like, well, there's something wrong with you. Like you're reacting in a really weird way from everything in my experience. Like this is not normal. There's something. So I think that really helped me. But I do work with a lot of women who grew up in the church mm -hmm. um, and the sort of the a lot of the, the programming, especially, you know, people who were adolescents in about the 90s and they grew up with the sort of modesty movement and all those messages about yeah. how it really is your responsibility to keep your husband's eyes pure. It's, you know, very weird messages which don't <laughs> yeah. help you um, discern what's good advice from bad advice. And then, you know, a lot of things get twisted, like it is yeah. important that we forgive but in the right time, like you can't forgive prematurely because quite often you don't know what you're forgiving right. and you've got righteous anger, grief to process. So you don't oh. want to do this sort of spiritual bypass, yeah. um, everything in the right time. So, um, yeah, I think the church is getting better and there are a lot more sort of trauma informed coaches and help and ministry out there. But yeah. the overriding message seems to be to guys, you know, don't tell her it'll just upset her. And oh Lord. You know, yeah. what, she, what she doesn't know isn't going to hurt her. But wives always know, not if they, they don't, might not know exactly what's going on, but their bodies are going, something's yeah. not right here. He's yeah. distant. He's, he's not engaged. He's critical. He's objectifying. His eyes are straying. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and there is a lot of 
trauma that and underlying mental health disorders that cause addiction and or that lead to addiction. And so that's why I think it is it is so important to really um, work on the mental health piece within the church yeah. because, you know, I know for my husband, he I wasn't raised in the church, but he was. And it was like, well, you know, why isn't Jesus enough? Why can't you just quit drinking? Well, you know, if you think about if your husband maybe started into porn when he was 10 or 11 years old, his brain is still developing and there yeah. could have been trauma. So... You know, just yeah. like like Carolyn Leaf talks a lot about this, really, just the rewiring of the brain. You have to rewire yeah. it, and the Bible tells us all of creation is groaning. So you have the world, you have the flesh, and you have the devil. So I always think, you know, I'm not trying to divide the church by bringing all the mental health in, but it is very valid because God created our brains, and and our brains do certain things, and then the world does certain things, and then our flesh does certain things, and then we do have a place for the devil if we've been in the occult. And so it's really just working out what's what's happening and and you know what's going yeah. on, and then and then going from there. But all those pieces are important, and they are all, you know, God made them all. <laughs> you know what I'm, I mean? Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because the new thing especially with pornography, is that the devil has upgraded his weapons. And whereby you sort of, there was sort of a predisposition for addiction, wasn't there? There were certain characteristics that were happening in your yeah. life that made you predisposed. With internet pornography. <laughs> I've got all of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> with internet pornography, there's a whole new category. You, you can, yeah. oh, anybody, anybody is susceptible because yeah. of this thing called the, the Coolidge effect. Do you know about that? So. Oh fascinating so basically the thing that that gives you another dopamine hit is novelty or surprise so so um and unlike other addictions where eventually you're going to drink so much alcohol that you pass out Mm -hmm. or drugs you know you run out of money um you know with pornography there's no off switch so you can literally binge for days and because you know pornography is ubiquitous and free you can up the ante by clicking on something new something novel something more shocking and it just keeps on coming and coming and coming so you so our our kids are getting Mm. addicted so young so fast without even realizing what they're dabbling in Mm. because they're because of you know the extra chemicals that are available there as as teenagers um, and that help you learn things better as teenagers, sort of the, the proteins, you know, Delta Phospi, which helps you really cement your learning. Extra quantities are produced that as teenagers when you watch pornography. So, so our kids are so vulnerable mm. to this, and yeah. it's not just the boys; it's the girls as well. So, thinking, well, they, you know, we're we're a you know a functional family. Uh, you know, they're an A student. They're on the soccer team. They're on the ballet team they'll be fine. They've got nice friends. If they stumble on this, it's really, really toxic, dangerous stuff. And that's why you sort of just need to get ahead on that and start having conversations and have the conversations. Do not assume anything. Your kids are going to see it at some point, but if you can get ahead of it and equip them to be able to recognize they have the language about it and come to you, um, you, you, you can, um, you can mitigate a lot of the damage. Hmm, yeah. And I love how you interfered with your husband, because even though unknowingly at the time, you know, it was recognized that any type of addiction is progressive. So 
it doesn't just fix itself. It always gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And with a porn addiction, then it can turn into full-blown sex addiction or picking up prostitutes. And then that leads to seedy people, places, and things. Like, I've never seen anyone in an addiction uh, not deteriorate. It, it is yeah. progressive. It always gets yeah. worse until we get help. And the farther in we go, then the more help we need to climb out because, yeah. you know, you could look at what's happening to the brain or the devil having the hook. It's all of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not all guys do cross the, f the flesh line. Right. So not right. all of them, just to sort of allay any fears of anybody listening. Like it's not inevitable and a lot of guys do stick to, to porn, but you're mm -hmm. right. It does escalate and they will, they will, uh, escalate in terms of duration so they'll do it for longer more often more risky places you know yeah. work in the car like stupid places mm -hmm. um all the content so the content's going to get darker more violent younger yeah. weirder Ooh. yeah mm -hmm. so yes you do need to intervene asap what does it do to the intimacy in a marriage yeah Good question. That's even, uh, I mean, <laughs> you don't have to get graphic if you don't want, but I know it, I mean, I was exposed to porn at a young age, not a lot of it, but it was enough to goof me up for yeah. a long time. And I thought, I can't imagine if I was consuming this every day. I don't know if I could ever be normal again. I mean, it's yeah. hard, You. it's hard to get that out of your head. And then when you're intimate with someone, right, in order to let's just be blunt in order to achieve, you have to go there in your brain. Yep. So now even when you're together, you're still going there, you know? Yep. And it, I mean, that stuff stays, I don't even know how you get it out. I yeah, mean, and, and, and now we've got this whole new condition of porn induced erectile dysfunction where yes. it's completely destroyed uh, the ability to be aroused by a real person. Mm -hmm. It's like they need this isolated voyeuristic experience to mm -hmm. become aroused that, and that's why, it, it, you know, kids who are growing up in the, you know, internet, I mean, fortunately, my generation, we just missed the internet in our teenage years. But now you do not want to condition your brain sexually to this stuff. You want, because otherwise you're going to wire it to be aroused by something on a computer. Yes. So your question was, how does it affect intimacy? So in two main ways, so I, I mentioned a few things outside the bedroom, sort of critical, resentful, distant, angry, all those things. But inside the bedroom... Um, guys go one of two ways. And the first one is sort of what you would expect. So they want to imitate what they've seen. Oh, they, goodness, they're, yeah. They're coercive. They, they're pressurizing for sex. They're um, wanting their partner to do things that they've seen um, and not really uh, empathizing at all with where mm. their partner's at. It doesn't matter. You, right. you know, yeah. Like, Comes um, very selfish, kind of. Incredibly know. selfish. Mm. It, you know, objectification. Oh, here's a fascinating thing that I just learned, Jody. Really interesting. So if somebody is looking at pornography in guys, the mm -hmm. same part of their brain lights up um, when they're using tools, power tools. Oh, wow. Okay. I know. Isn't that fascinating? So basically it is like, this is something that I use to achieve an objective. So they, you know, how to use this object, how to use this object. It's the same part of the brain. I thought wow, that was fascinating. That is interesting. So they become, you know, hypersexual, mm -hmm. coercive. It's really unpleasant. It's mm -hmm. really, you know, wives try their best for a certain amount of time and then they just shut down. 
you know, or, or they're feeling like, okay, right, I'll have plastic surgery. Okay, I'll, you know, go to the gym. Okay, I'll, I'll try this. I'll be more adventurous. Or they just sort of shut down and like, like, I just want to be invisible. I just want to put on weight. I just want to like not be attractive at all. Um, but the other way that isn't so well known, that is equally, if not more devastating, is that guys become sexually avoidant. They do not want to be sexual with their wives. Some of them can't be sexual with their wives. Mm. And that as a wife is devastating and so confusing because it's like, well, you're looking at all these people. You're obviously capable of, you know, being sexual. You, you can't stop doing it. But with me, you have absolutely no interest. Mm. It's got to be me. And it really isn't. Because yeah. even even the women in pornography, you know, who are being prostituted in pornography, they've come forward and said, oh, I can't keep my partner's attention. And they're the women who you know, people are looking at, it's not what you look like or, or what you do. It's just the fact that you're a real person. They don't want intimacy. They don't want emotional connection. They want an objectified voyeuristic experience. Yeah. Well, and it can also just be intimacy avoidance as well. You know, a mm -hmm. lot of addiction is that way too, or, yeah. you know, for me, I have to drink so I can be intimate. Right. And in this yes. case, looking at porn so I don't have to be intimate because that's very scary for me because I was told I was stupid or a loser. I mean, did your husband find there was some other kind of issues in his past that maybe led to this, do you know, or was it just something he got hooked on early? He got hooked on it early and I'm sure there's sort of family trauma mm -hmm. uh, and, and stuff going on, but yeah, got hooked as a, as a teenager and it became a coping mechanism. Oh, uh, um, yeah. And you know, that that's the reality that he, he sort of got emotionally stunted at that point. And also, I, I think the, he has ADHD and I, mm -hmm. you know, they do have a predisposition for addiction because they've got this yeah. dopamine deficiency. So they're seeking yeah. a hit anyway. Pornography is right there providing. Um, and so what was so, it like? Oh, sorry, for him to develop like different coping skills to do work through all that does he have kind of things that he does now to, to cope because that's one of the big right. things in recovery is like okay because if you don't have anything to replace it with because if you're yeah. I mean, think about when your brain is developing and maybe there is trauma there not always is but if there is and you're using this to cope for trauma when someone gets help it's like you're what you what people don't understand is you're trying to say now this is your only survival mechanism mechanism in their mind, that's their survival mechanism and we're taking it away. So then we have to replace it with something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. Um, yes, we can replace it with Jesus, but we do live in this world too. So we have to do other things to replace it, whether it's meditation or prayer or jogging or exercise or, you know, uh, going to meetings or just talking. Like you guys have to talk and, you know, all those sorts of things, right? Yeah, well, the the miraculous thing about all this jody is that my husband now works full-time with porn addicts wow and i you know I, I run the wives groups now but before right. he would be up there you know helping a group of betrayed partners mm -hmm. and i'm like oh god you are amazing like like how did you turn this one around like wow. he's yeah. up there empathizing with you know their pain and their trauma and um and so, that's a huge um coping skill like the giving back the helping i mean that's enormous. absolutely enormous mm, that's one absolutely so the way that the way that you get free from this and i'm and you can tell me whether this is the same for in your experience for other addictions is walking in the light walking yeah. in the light you know in fellowship with one another not just god and yeah. uh and rigorous honesty 
so that when the underlying feelings that drove you to act out, those feelings that you can't cope with, the fear, the anxiety, the resentment, all those things, you now pick up the phone instead of picking up the remote control um, mm. and call someone and share those feelings and getting things into the light takes the power out of them. Um, yeah. And then you learn to, and you just, it's self-awareness, isn't it? You learn like what's a dumb thing to do. So yeah. if you're, you know, if you're in a hotel room, like get rid of the telly. It's like, yeah. don't make things difficult for you. Or if your wife's going away for the weekend, you line up a load of calls and um, you're accountable and take extra measures. It doesn't have, you know, porn addiction is, is always going to be there, but it's in the trunk. It's no longer in the driving seat. It's not even mm. in the passenger seat, but yeah. it is in the car. So you can't be stupid about it. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. You, you know, you have to take up your sword, right? Just like the Bible. It's the enemy. He's prowling around, roaring lion. Let's see. Let's see if I can get him back, you know, and, and, and it's that awareness, just being aware, like, okay, I, you know, um, why do you think it takes so long for couples to seek help? That's a good question. Well, I think uh, for the, what we've, observed over sort of years of helping couples is that there's a pattern the reason that guys come forward is because there's normally a footprint of their wife on their back mm. it's her getting to the yeah. point of saying, yeah that's kind of the reality is like i'd like to say that one day they wake up and go oh i just feel convicted it's like they do but then life takes over and they go back to it they can't help it they're addicted yeah so it's when that wife gets to the point of going enough yeah i can't do this anymore I can't do this anymore. I can't pretend that it's not happening. It's killing me. I'm falling apart. My hair's falling out. I can't sleep. I can't eat. Like, I can't do this anymore. But it takes a really long time for the wife to get to that point. I'd say on average about 10 years. Like, it takes a really, really long time. This was me in my previous relationship. It, you try everything. So my whole ministry is like, I wonder, I wonder if it's possible to do early intervention, yes. not crisis management. Yes. So let's let's educate wives, let's empower them, let's encourage them, let's edify them so that they can actually put that boundary in proactively, calmly, right. before too much damage is done to your heart, to his brain and the relationship. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I wonder if this is possible. So that's why I sort of, you know, wrote the book and did the podcast. And I'm like, I wonder. And now, you know, so what are we like three years in? We're seeing that, yeah, it is possible and it's so much easier to deal with this if you've brought it up and a sort of come alongside and brought it up and he's yeah. gone yeah you're right and I don't know what to do about it I really don't but yeah. you're saying that there's hope there's help okay I'm willing to do it then it doesn't feel like you're fighting him it feels like you're both fighting pornography yeah yeah, I love that because early intervention is important in, in any type of addiction, you know, because what we have with alcohol is it starts with problem drinking or problem use or problem porn or problem gambling. And then when it goes into a full addiction, now it's just you're going to be hooked even more and life's going to be even harder. So the early intervention is absolutely critical. And and like you said, that's been sort of a duh factor in the substance addiction, but it hasn't been in the other types of addiction. I mean, if you go into a gambling place and you feel like you're arrived and your whole world has gotten better, you, that's a problem. It's like nobody told me when I took the first drink that 
I mean, I felt like I had arrived. And anybody mm -hmm. that feels that way, you have a 50-50 shot of growing up and becoming an alcoholic. And I did. We don't tell kids that. We don't tell them. Okay. If you get that dopamine, th like if you take an opiate and it's the best, because most people don't like it. If you take it and it's the best thing in the world, you got yeah. problems. But we don't ever educate people. And I think that's so important. Like if you look at yeah. porn and you're just like, this is the best thing in the world. Because most people, the first time they look at it, don't really think that. But if that, you know, that's a sign, right? There's a problem. We need yeah. to get in early and, and work on this. And and that is an, such an important piece because otherwise we just we just willy-nilly float through and, oh, it feels good. I might as well do it. Well, no, if it feels good, you got a problem, you know? Yeah, that's so. a really good point. And mm. we don't educate kids. I mean, the prevalent attitude towards it now they did a, a survey and more you know young people today are think that recycling is a problem but pornography is not like right you know it's like if you don't recycle that well you know there's something wrong with you but pornography that's just you know educational it's, it's liberating it's empowering it's <sighs> you know the fact that they think it's educational is is just uh, her horrific yeah so i we, mean yeah, just the porn industry in general, right? Talk to me about that. I mean, it's wicked yeah. because it's... It's wicked. You know, I think most of us would say, well, yeah, it's probably not that great. You know, but then the, but then it's not going to stop because it's billions and billions of dollars. It probably makes mm -hmm. more money than illegal drugs. And legal oh, it does. Drugs. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it's well, huge. And so, you know, they're not going to do anything about it. I think it's more money than the sports industry and entertainment oh. combined, like oh. billions. We're talking billions. And it is, and you said it, it, it is wicked, literally. This yeah. is demonically inspired. Oh yeah. Uh, addictive horror. It really is. The, the, the content is getting um, worse, younger worse. Mm -hmm. and more violent. And, and because of the escalation, you know, the buildup of tolerance that you mentioned. Yeah. The porn industry has to push it further and further and further. And that is what people are being conditioned on. And it's it's impacting how they're now sexually relating to one another. What women used to be scared of, and I'm not going to go into details, but what they used to be scared of like 15 years ago is not what they're scared of now. And that's directly as a result that, that uh, you know, young people today are absolutely uh, brainwashed and conditioned by, by, by pornography. And it's really, it's dark stuff. It's yeah, really dark it stuff. The, the, the things that you can find straight away are the stuff that you find in evil ceremonies. Let's just put it like that. Yeah. And, and I'm not exaggerating. It is, it is occultic. It is horrific yeah. stuff. And if you're already prone to bad behavior or violence, I mean, you could look at Ted Bundy. I mean, he blamed everything that he did on pornography. Now, he was also a psychopath and <laughs> liked the attention, yeah. but the point is, and that's not to say most people would go that direction, but no. it can lead to that type of objectification of women or men or kids. Then they become objects and then you can, I mean, it can turn violent. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not, it's, you know, the you know, not to freak people out. There is no, right. <laughs> you know, people do not generally cross that line like there's there's you know it doesn't escalate to, to those offending behaviors however of those offenders pornography is always a component right that's a really good way to put it yeah absolutely that's a really good way to put it because then 
then they can blame it but but typically they're they're just looking at it so they can go do what they were going to do anyway you know but but yeah it's it's just the whole thing is so so um evil and to just to tell people that it's good and right but you know we live in this yeah. world and that's that's what the world is going to do did you have um what were some sort of spiritual or god experiences did, did god show you one or two things that just really hit home with you throughout all this about this this issue well i love that question jody <laughs> um it's it's bringing about... it back into the light here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get into the light. Yes, so many. I mean, this is I I say it's the worst, the the best worst gift I've ever had. Right, like, right. And, and and a lot of people say that. Like yeah, yeah. when I meet someone in recovery, I'm like, oh, you're one of us. You're you know, yeah. going to be able to really talk to you. This is cool. Um, you yeah, know, there's yeah. no, there's no facade with you, and you know, walking in the light, light walking mm-hmm. is amazing it is phenomenal but this whole process i'm learning is just about surrendering yeah it's about surrendering and recognizing your utter dependence on god everything is happening for the explicit purpose of breaking down your reliance on on yourself and and turning to him you you guys have to get to that point of powerlessness you know and and hand it all over but so do the partners you have to get to the part the, the the point where you put your marriage on the altar, you know, yeah, be it unto you according to your will, you know, like, and it's really, really hard, but that is how faith is, is created. Faith does not make things easy. It makes them possible. And faith is produced through suffering yeah. and you're going to experience suffering in this. You really are, but you're also going to increase your, your faith and yeah. People who've come through this, they have, because that, that was the thing that staggered me. So when I started my podcast, I wanted to do it as like The View, but just about pornography. So I asked women in our recovery community, would you come on and share your stories? Thinking that they'd go, uh, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> um, and they did. They're like, absolutely. I want to I make my story count. I want to reach mm, people. I wish I could have spoken to myself 10 years ago. Yeah. And that's kind of the attitude of everyone in recovery. They just want to reach down off the life yeah. raft and go, it's okay. Come on up. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's safe here. Um, and there's hope and there's help and there's health. Uh, you know, c- come on up. It, it's okay. Yeah. So, so it, it is an amazing faith journey. And it, and I just want to encourage people that you're not just fighting against the pornography. You're not fighting for your old marriage minus the pornography. You're fighting for something new, yeah. something that you can't even really grasp at this point because it's not just the pornography. There's lots of other stuff going on because yeah. the intimacy component is not there, yeah. is really not there. So if you both work really hard at recovery, you're going to have a level of authenticity, vulnerable, vulnerability, connection, closeness, that honesty that you never had before. And that is worth what fighting for. There are no guarantees because if your partner's like unrepentant and refuses to yeah. do what's necessary, you, you that's between him and God. Right. You know, you you can be the catalyst, you can put a boundary, but it's it's between him and God that bit. But it's worth a shot. Yeah. It really is worth a shot. I never ever could imagine my marriage that I have now or how mm. I feel about my husband now compared to how I felt on that wedding night and that following period. Wow. It, it is a total it, it is a a miracle and that's why 
I do this because I just want to give hope that it is, if it could happen to me, it can happen to you. Mm. It is possible and it's worth fighting for. You just need to learn how to fight effectively. I love that. What advice would you give to wives who are in this, where you were 10, 15 years ago? They're like, they, they see something's happening, they, you know? Yeah. Uh, so three steps. Get educated, get connected, and get, and get uh, what is my third step? Get help. <laughs> That's my third step. Uh, so you have, to, you have to draw this boundary. That's the only thing that works. Yeah. You know, I, I go into it. The, the, the scripture that backs it up, we haven't got time to go into it here, but like it's scriptural to put a boundary in when you've got yes. a husband who's being disobedient to the word. It really is. Um, but in order to do that, it's really hard. There's a reason women yeah. stay stuck and in the shadows for 10 years. There's a reason. It's really hard. Yeah. So you kind of need to understand the enemy that you face, mm -hmm. find out what's going on in his brain, find out what's going on in your body, understand that betrayal trauma is a real thing and it's not your fault. Then you need to get connected because you need sisters alongside you. Yeah. Because when, when he's going crazy and making you feel crazy, you need others alongside you to go, right. no, you're not. It's fine. It's totally fine. Like we're here. You're safe. This is reality. Um, yeah. And then you need, you need a guide. You need someone to help you. And there's sort of a whole, uh, variety of help from sort of you know in very expensive intensives to local groups at your church mm -hmm. you know and uh we've done sort of a lot of the legwork a lot of the discernment work and we've put all the resources there on the website so awesome. um so awesome. just to help you find places that are going to help you first because you don't just want to reach out to the normal places you go you know the, the normal places you'd go like your pastor or your family might not be the best place to go first because they might not understand what they're dealing right. with. And although they love you and they want the best for you, this needs um, informed handling. Yeah, it, it's true. And, and make sure that you do get help for yourself. Because yeah. like Rosie said, your addicted loved one may not change. But the best hope for them to change is when you change. You can't change yep. someone else, but if you change they will change. <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah, the, that's the little recovery secret of how do I change yeah. someone? Now there's no guarantee they'll change, but yeah. if you're, if they're sitting there using porn and they've got a house and everything's okie dokie, right? It's like the alcoholic mm -hmm. sitting at home and mom's paying all the bills. Well, there's no reason. There's no reason yeah. for them to get help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've got everything yeah. that they're perfectly happy with. Why would they, why would they ever change? So that's why the, the boundary piece is like so important. So, yeah, I love how you phrase that. It reminds me, you know, nothing changes if nothing changes. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And the surrender piece is huge. That's, that's yeah. just, that's huge. The surrender yeah. and the acceptance. The serenity prayer. Mm -hmm. It's not just for him, it's for you. Exactly. Because so much of our addictions and compulsions are rooted in this control like mm -hmm. that we have some power to do something and, and i always say it admitted we step one admitted we were powerless over sin <laughs> that our lives had become money you know then it's like yeah. everybody's got it. it's not just alcohol it's everything right you know so <sighs> well rosie thank you so much oh, for I'm joining so us i really appreciate you being on the program today uh let people know about your book and your website and how they can get connected with you everything's the same name to make it easy uh-huh so the, the book is called Fight for Love. Podcast is called Fight for Love. love the it. website is fightforloveministries.com. Um, and we have a, a, a very large private Facebook group. And there's a lot of um, hope and healing um, 
that goes on in that. So I encourage people to go and find that Fight for Love Fellowship. And that's a nice, easy baby step that anybody can do. Oh, and my husband is markmckinney.com. Awesome. Rosie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's been, it's been really, really good to talk to you. Thank you, Jody. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.